every percentage point is a human being. Right? And if we think about it that way, then your, your motivation is to lift all boats. And that's the way healthcare should be delivered in this country. It should be about the people. Welcome to Conversations in Care, a special series of the next big thing in health where we come together to have honest and heartfelt conversations about the defining issues in healthcare. I'm your host, Robert Trainum, Executive Vice President here at AHIP. If you'd like to watch the video episode of our discussion, head to YouTube and search for AHIP coverage or check the show notes for links. Come on in. At Mom's Meals, our mission is to improve life through better nutrition at home. Using medically tailored meal benefits designed for members' needs, we help health plans improve total cost of care through fewer readmissions, shorter inpatient stays, less emergency department visits, and improved outcomes. Learn more at momsmeals.com. I'm here with Eric Hunter, President and CEO of Care Oregon, and Dr. Sachin Jain, CEO of Scan Group and Scan Health Plan, to discuss how their organizations are coming together to drive forward their mission of expanding access to healthcare and treatment for some of our most vulnerable people. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Welcome, Eric. Welcome, Sachin. I want to start uh, first and foremost with an icebreaker. I love these type of opening questions because I think it sets the tone. Favorite sports team, Eric, or genre? John, well, I think favorite sports team for me has uh, got to be the Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay. Um, you know, grew up in, was born in Aliquippa, Pennsylvania, outside of Pittsburgh, where my grandfather moved to work in the steel mills. So the Steelers, not only were they the hometown team for him and the family, but they just epitomized hard work, blue collar, you know, community. And, uh, and that's, that's what I, that attracts me to. So you know I have a follow-up question since you're a Pittsburgher. All right. Icy Light, Original O, do you, are you following me with this stuff? I, no, I'm, I'm a vodka guy. Are you a vodka guy? Okay. Icy Light is a local <laughs> Pittsburgh oh. drink, for oh. lack of a term. Sachin, you? New York Yankees. Okay. Why? Well, I grew up in New Jersey, so like any good New Jersey person, you have to like a New York sports team. And um, I grew up in the 80s when the Mets were cool and the Yankees were the underdogs. So I, people find it hard to believe that I like the Yankees because they were the underdog, but they were the underdog that made it. And um, that era, the early 90s, late 90s, early 2000s, is very special. You know what's really interesting for me about sports teams is that there's an affinity there. Like it's you live and die. I I grew up just outside of Philadelphia, and the Eagles fans are and were very diehard. In fact, I don't know if this is still true, but the stadium in Philadelphia, Veterans Stadium, actually had a jail and a judge. Do, have you heard the story? No. Only because apparently Eagles fans were so Rowdy. ruckus. <laughs> Thank you, Rowdy. That there was, a, there was actually a jail there. I don't know. I don't know. Have you heard the story? I mean, they threw batteries at Santa Claus. <laughs> that's true. You've, you've, that's right. That's right. Yeah, we're not. Us Philadelphians are vocal. Well, now you can't even get into a sports game without a couple hundred dollars in your pocket, which is just, you know, unfortunate turn of events. Yeah, it's really. no longer a blue-collar, you know, middle-class. Sport, sports in general yeah. just gotten too expensive. Yeah, yeah. Like health insurance. Let's talk about that. That's, I think that's a perfect segue. <laughs> so you both are the president and CEOs of two companies. Um, I know you have some news to share about what may happen, but let's talk more about health insurance and, and policies and, and the expense and, and how you tackle that. So let's start with you, Eric. You know, at Care Oregon, because we're predominantly a Medicaid plan, 
you know, we've also got a dual eligible plan and some in-home primary care, hospice and palliative care, but primarily Medicaid. Uh, we are completely dependent on policies set up in Washington and in individual states on what the provision of health care has to be. Right. So our goal as a community-based not-for-profit is to say, how do you take those required goals and couch them in a way that they actually serve the population with the needs the patients have? And that's really the biggest challenge, I think, in the healthcare space for us is saying, you know, let's get out of just counting widgets. These are not widgets, they're human beings that have particular needs. And profitability is nice, I suppose, if you need to keep the doors open, but that should not be the motivating factor. It should be doing what's right for the members and what they decide that they need. And that's really, I think, the focus for us in Care Oregon. I think if the entire industry worked with that mindset, we'd be in a much better place right now. So Eric, I hear you say there's a mandate coming from above, yes. and what you try to do at the local level is personalize that because these are humans, these are lives exactly. behind these policies, for lack of a better term. Exactly, exactly. Sachin. So I uh, lead Scan Group and Health Plan. Uh, we were founded 46 years ago by a group of people we affectionately call the 12 Angry Seniors. And we keep the 12 Angry Seniors front and center in our thoughts about our work, um, because these were a group of people who said that they wanted to remain healthy and independent in, in their homes, and that is our founding principle. Not serving shareholders, not creating profits to fund whatever and whatever else. Um, and that's the way healthcare should be delivered in this country. It should be about the people. People like to equate healthcare to all kinds of other goods and services. Um, you know, we are not Netflix. We are not Disney. Um, we are the healthcare industry and we're proud to be the healthcare industry and we're proud to be different. Um, and we're proud to exist for the people that we serve. Um, and I, we think that that's really, really important. You know, we, are, we both represent not-for-profit organizations. Not-for-profits are not the only organizations that can kind of operate this way. But what we see is that more often than not, not-for-profits on the margins put patients before profits. And we think that that's really, really important when you think about, you know, how do you take care of frail and vulnerable people? You know, what I'm hearing is values. I'm hearing mission. I'm hearing this is really leading from the heart in a way that is personal, in a way where you're developing a relationship that hopefully is um, built on a level of trust and also that is clearly predicated on people's health in their lives. So exactly. this is serious stuff in many ways. So thanks for sharing. I understand you have some news to share. Uh, would you like to share with us what that might be? Well, we've shared it before, but not in this setting. Okay. Uh, we are coming together. Tell us more. Are you getting married? What's going on? <laughs> we are getting married. <laughs> you're getting, you're getting we hinged. are getting married. Yes, yeah, so we two, are getting married. Two missions, two values, two companies, two not-for-profits coming together. That's, that's right. That's right. We, you know, we, we talk a lot about the fact that this is a little different combination because in this case, it's not one plus one becoming one bigger one, as is often in this industry. It's one plus one equals three. We're, we're going above and beyond simply the combination of two companies that have you know, like missions and like values and saying, where do we take the next steps to do those next innovative things, to enhance what we currently do instead of replacing what we do, to, take, to be that disruptor that the system really needs, but a disruptor that's focused on the work from a human perspective, right? the not-for-profit perspective, and really gives an alternative to the communities and to the behavioral health nations and the, the governments to say, hey, where, where can we go besides the for-profit motive to really engage people in healthcare? And we think we can take that uh, and do really good things with it. I assume we're, you agree. Uh, absolutely, and we're gonna call ourselves the Health Right Group. 
Uh, and we chose this name you know, very deliberately because we both, uh, both of our organizations really see uh, health as a right. Uh, and we also, there's a way of doing it right. Um, and so that double entendre is really, really important. Um, you know, we're going to continue to operate, you know, from a consumer-facing perspective as Scan Health Plan and Care Oregon in the markets in which we already operate. Um, but our corporate parent will be called the Health Right Group. And we're, we couldn't be more excited because we think that the moment is now um, for, I think, not-for-profit organizations to come together uh, to sustain themselves. Um, you know, these are two strong organizations, right. but we live in a world where um, it's really becoming David versus Goliath. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, we've got big, you know, not national for-profit organizations. Um, you know their names. Uh, you've got, you know, smaller uh, venture capital and private equity-backed companies that are doing irrational things to try to gain market share. And so, you know, there's this risk of those of us in the middle, not-for-profits, community-based, mission-driven, that we get lost. And um, what, you know, I think Eric and I realized from the very first conversation that we had about this almost three years ago now, three Eric, ago. Um, is that there's a, there's a different way and there's a better way, and that's why we're here. It sounds like you both collectively but also separately serve underserved communities. It also feels like, clearly, as I mentioned before, there's a lot of, of mission and values driven in your work. Um, tell me how this will work in the future. Uh, if, I know you alluded to it a little bit, but if you could be more specific around, um, will you um, overlap in terms of your interest, or is it going to be pretty much separate? So I, you know, I think you know, the company is really going to be organized into three different divisions. Um, there's going to be a Medicare division, which will be um, kind of a, uh, our legacy scan health plan, so to speak. Uh, there'll be a Medicaid division that Eric's going to lead, um, and Care Oregon will be one of the divisions of uh, the Medicaid division. Uh, and then we'll have our diversified businesses. I think between Scan and Care Oregon, we have you know six or seven uh, diversified businesses that really solve unmet needs in the healthcare ecosystem, uh, really in the care delivery space. And so we're excited to see you know, the art of the possible play out there. I want to turn to you, Sachin, for a moment. As I understand it, the New York Times, um, and, uh, as well as USA Today, had a really interesting profile story on some of the work that you have been working on, your company has been working on. Explain, please. So we um, you know, have this epidemic in plain sight uh, on the West Coast and really in the United States, which is the epidemic of people experiencing homelessness. And, um, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, we took a hard look at this and said, you know, we've got to do something. And so, um, you know, with the support of our board, we decided to launch uh, something called Healthcare in Action, which is a medical group that is focused on people experiencing homelessness. And, you know, our goal is to try to rethink the healthcare cost equation. Um, we talk a lot about value-based care in this country. And one of the populations that's, I think, most suited for a value-based care approach is actually people experiencing homelessness, where uh, as a country, we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on emergency room visits, hospitalizations, ICU stays, um, but we don't do any of the things upfront that we need to do to support people. And what we know is that homelessness is um, both caused by health problems, but also exacerbated and extended by health problems. And I think how you define a problem actually influences how you solve a problem. And we have failed to define homelessness for what it is. For some subset of people, it is actually a healthcare issue. It's not a housing supply issue. 
It's a mental health issue. It's an addiction issue. It's an untreated chronic disease issue. And so, you know, we believe that problems need to be solved in their roots. And so our approach um, has been to actually create healthcare in action. We have over 11 street medicine teams now uh, all over California, ranging from San Mateo County to LA County to Orange County to San Diego County. Um, And so, you know, what we're doing is really building a movement around addressing homelessness through its healthcare roots. And that's what I think caught the attention of the New York Times um, and uh, USA Today. I'm reminded of a conversation I had a couple of years ago when someone said homelessness is really an iceberg. Um, You see the tip of it and you think you have a lot of preconceived notions about that tip. But underneath, to your point, there's so many other foundational issues that could be going on that are usually undiagnosed. Yeah. And this is, you know, this is an issue I've been working on personally, you know, since I was an undergraduate student, medical student, uh, you know, started a homeless health clinic, you know, um, you know, that many years ago. Um, uh, what I think the innovation here, though, is, is that we're starting to think about, you know, how do we actually take the total cost of care, the literally hundreds of thousands of dollars that can get spent on, you know, what is ultimately avoidable medical care, um, and then, you know, move it to provide actually intensive street-based primary care and behavioral health. Um, we're not by no means you know, uh, like the only folks who are doing street medicine, but I think what is innovative here is the, is the payment model that we're trying to attach to it. Um, there's some you know, phenomenal people in California doing this work, phenomenal people in Oregon doing this work, Central City Concern um, is, a, is a group we both you know, I think share a ton of uh, admiration for. Uh, and so what we're trying to do is actually you know, build the payment model and the evidence base to be able to actually sustain these groups, because a lot of these groups, um, you know, end up fundraising through grants, you know, trying to get pieces of legislation passed to support themselves. Um, but we think that there's a ready-made mechanism to actually fund these groups today, which is to reallocate the dollars that we're spending on ultimately avoidable medical complications of homelessness and provide intensive primary and behavioral health. Hmm. Eric, I want to transition to health equity. This is a new phenomenon, I think, for our society overall, and having these health equity officers installed in insurance provider plans as well as uh, uh, hospitals and so forth. But I think it's really challenging to hold these new positions accountable when the data is still coming in in real time. I understand you think about this a lot. Uh, What is your thinking around this? You know, I think you mentioned the iceberg you know, scenario. Um, for many places, the chief equity officer um, should be like an iceberg, you know, just sort of the, the visible part you see, but there's so much more substance beneath it that really drives it. But for many companies, it's it's a floating just piece of ice. Right? Yeah. There, there's nothing to it. It's performative, Yeah. right? I think. Uh, and it's not tethered <clears throat> to anything in theory. No, it, it floats around whatever the Whatever the issue of the day is, right. is what they address. That's right. Uh, a lot of companies are great about putting out letters and statements, but but when you say, you know, but what is your C-suite comprised of, right? Who's in the room when you're making decisions? How do you engage communities to hear their voice, not just survey them and, and say, hey, we ran a survey, but sit down with them and say, let's talk through the issues. Engage in community groups that are specified to work with particular groups, whether it's the, the immigrant refugee communities or the, or the African-American communities or the Hispanic Latinx communities, engaging them on their turf, on their terms, in their language to understand what their needs are and then building your processes and programs off of that. Uh, so often, 
People believe equity is just simply understanding disaggregated data and saying, you know, this group has this percentage, this group has that percentage. Every percentage point is a human being, right? And if we think about it that way, then your, your motivation is to lift all boats, right? right? And, and hopefully everyone will come along and you identify those places where that's not happening and you address that specifically. Uh, so really, I think, you know, when we look at, particularly for government programs, anyone that is engaging in the healthcare system is in a vulnerable population, right? I think, so it, it's, it's making sure all, equity also does not leave out those folks because they don't fit into some clean category. Everyone deserves to have the proper, appropriate health care that's socially responsible, that's fiscally uh, prudent, right? We have that to do as well, but engage at the level of what they truly need, and that's, that's how I see it. Any response, Sachin? Well, you know, we've been on a, on a journey uh, at SCAN, I would say, um, you know, there, you know, when I started in the organization, you know, three years ago, I had several board members say to me, you know, this has been a high performance organization, but um, we're not satisfied with the fact that we are not serving um, kind of more diverse populations. And so we've been on this journey um, both to expand our reach into uh, new populations, new communities, um, but also to really like enhance our product offerings to serve communities that otherwise aren't being served. Um, the, you know, I think there's lots of efforts underway. I think healthcare in action is is a really good uh, example. We've had um, initiatives around uh, you know reducing disparities in medication use in different populations, our African American patients and Hispanic populations. Um, but I think you know the thing I'm most proud of is probably our product innovation. Uh, and you know, last year we introduced the first ever LGBTQ plus focused Medicare Advantage product called the Scan Affirm product and um, recruited over 600 members to that product, which, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with kind of Medicare Advantage product launches, I mean, 600 in the first year is awesome. That's a big number. Uh, it's a big number and it's growing. And, um, you know, we're doing things like providing people with enhanced behavioral health support, uh, a formulary that is a medication formulary that's tailored to their needs. Um, so most importantly, we're letting people know that we see them, we respect them, and that we're there for them. And I think as an industry, I would say, let's just call it what it is. Our industry has not seen America for the diversity that it is. And we've not built products that actually speak to diverse communities and populations. We have not built marketing materials that speak to the broader population of Americans. And this is both a melting pot and a salad bowl and pick your favorite, you know, analogy. And we have to speak to everybody. Um, and, uh, you know, I think one of the things that the Affirm product did, which lots of people were skeptical about, to be really candid with you, when we, when we launched it, um, is it showed us that, you know, it's not only the right thing to do, but it also unlocks growth. And, um, you know, I think there's people who are waiting to be spoken to. And that's, I think, our obligation. Um, and, you know, to Eric's point, I'm so tired of the just sort of virtue signaling that comes out of, you know, the large American corporations. You know, George Floyd gets murdered. Everyone sends out, you know, a press release saying that Black Lives Matter. They make a donation to their favorite charity. Three years later, everything's the same. Yeah. Um, you know, our C-suite is very diverse, uh, you know, represents, you know, the, the lots, largely the community that we, we now serve. Um, and I think that it allows you to make better decisions. It allows you to have those voices in the room. And also we're having the conversation about what voices aren't in the room that we should have in the room. And I think it makes a, it makes a big, big difference uh, in terms of just 
whether you're running a 2023 company or you're running a 1955 company. Uh, and I think we're trying to run a company that meets the needs of people today. Yeah. And I, I just want to follow up. I think, you know, what Sachin just talked about is the reason that we said it makes sense to come together as mm. companies, right? That, that mindset that there is a way to do better, you know, that, that populations and individuals and communities deserve a healthcare system that serves them. You know, at Care Oregon, we now do a tribal care coordination program so that, you know, a, a partnership with the nine tribes in Oregon, the state and the federal government to provide care that's culturally responsive to our tribal members who weren't being properly served. And then just recently started an Indian managed care entity with, with native partners because that's what they needed to serve those populations. And being willing to go sort of out on a limb and to create those new programs that Sachin talked about that are geared towards making sure everyone yeah. has the same opportunity for care, that's critical. And let me say the other thing, is the reason we're doing this is, is both to do it ourselves for the people that we serve, but we also think that our industry needs some inspiration. Yeah. And you know the two of us are going to take take it on, and we're going to we're going to show people the art of the possible. So you're the beta test. You're you're sticking your neck out there, uh, in a good way, and figure out what sticks. It sounds like. I want to double down on health equity. I think this is so important and on so many different levels. You know, and one of the things that I think is there for certain people, they're making these decisions not through a health lens. They're making these decisions from a financial, through a financial lens. And the burden that some people carry when it comes to that is, oh, gosh, how am I going to pay for this? Am I going to put this on my credit card, a second mortgage, or whatever the case may be? My understanding is you all both made some news here. What is that, Eric? Well, I think, you know, we, we were so proud to be able to come together and collectively uh, work with a company called RIP Medical Debt to retire the medical debt uh, over $100 million worth of debt wow. uh, was retired in the states in which we work uh, for people that have just been trying to sort of get by. I think and we, we say it's an equity issue because it truly is identifying a stressor that people have in their lives. And we've talked about social determinants and those things that impact health, financial you know, issues and those stressors are important. Uh, people need the freedom to say, I'm going to get the care I need. I can't have money be a burden in that. And I think it's a, an amazing program. So Sachin, I want to go back to this. This is a big deal, right? Because at the end of the day, you're talking about people's credit scores. You're talking about their ability or inability to perhaps maybe get a car or a mortgage or whatever the case may be. And just the overall anxiety about being in debt, no? Look, when I was a, when I was a medical resident, um, I had an attending, uh, his name was uh, Dr. Gordy Schiff and you know he um, most most of his t clinical teaching to us was not about um, you know what drugs work to treat hypertension or diabetes he kind of assumed we knew that but it was actually about how to make sure that our patients could afford their drugs uh, and you know I think there are so many people one of the key lessons from that time was that there are so many people who either delay medical care or forego medical care for fear of the bill that they're going to get for fear of the aggressive collection practices of the healthcare system, for fear that their credit scores are gonna be permanently damaged because they can't pay the bill. Right. Uh, and we know people, all of us have people in our lives who've avoided going to see you know, a doctor because they're just not sure what they're gonna get on the other side of it. And so, you know, I, and what we've learned is that one of the like, top causes of bankruptcy in 2023 for Americans is actually medical care. What is this world that we've created? And I think that's the reason that we are just so proud of this partnership. And 
We also know that this disproportionately impacts people of color and, and you know, people in low-income communities who don't know enough to advocate for themselves to not pay the crazy list prices that they get from doctors' offices and hospitals for medical procedures, and who then become subjective to this, you know, subjected to this aggressive, um, you know, uh, debt collection, and you know that again, we this we were in this like dystopic world, and I think what we're trying to do is is raise the visibility of this issue. Uh, you know, it's a couple hundred thousand dollar donation, so I don't want to overstate it. Because, you know, that was able to retire 110 million dollars of debt. Um, but what I'd like to see from you know the community of watchers, viewers from AHIP, is I'd like to see every health plan in the country follow our lead. Uh, if every one of us actually agreed to kind of pay down, you know, a certain amount of medical debt, wouldn't take a lot for us to wipe out medical debt uh, in the same way that I think we saw, uh, you know, some student debt relieved recently. Uh, so I think we got to get we got to hit reset in some ways and. Uh, you know, I think our industry could be part of the solution instead of always being part of the problems. Yeah, and I, I think it, I think that's great. I mean, and really, it's a call to action, as such and said. It's how do we motivate others to do similar things, and then collectively take the next step. Right. Right. You know, eliminating debt on the back end is one thing, but let's let's eliminate that debt from happening in the first place. Right. Yep. Like let's let's make sure that folks aren't getting balanced bills. That people understand what their needs are, understand how to get on to government programs if they qualify. Uh, those are the kind of things that will really solve the problem long term. Our classic product, uh, which uh, is our most popular. Medicare Advantage product in LA County actually has um, a maximum out of pocket of $499. That will keep you out of debt. So again, I think we have an obligation to build products that will that are affordable, that make care affordable. Um, but I also think if you're watching, if you're working in this industry, email your CEO, email whoever you know leads your, and say I I saw what Scan and Care Oregon did, and I want us to do it too. Um, and I, you know, what I'd like to see is I'd like to see every, you know, organization in our industry do the same thing. And let's just press reset on medical debt in this country. A lot of disruptive and innovative thinking. Really appreciate it. What's what's next for your teams? You know, I, I think it's 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 showing truly that this matters. Right. Again, performative is not a word that I want to ever have associated with anything that I do. We are meaningful, we are deliberate, uh, we are bold when we need to be, but we're gonna show it. You know, we're not just gonna talk it. And I think that the plans that we have together to bring new products and ideas into the marketplaces that we're currently in, or maybe other ones, right? Just saying, here's how there are measurable differences in the lives of people, in the health of our communities. That's gonna show that we've done something great. And then hopefully that, you know, incentivizes others to want to do the same thing, either individual or with us. But let me let me maybe just double click on this word performative, because I think you know I, I think we have to talk about what what we're really responding to here. Is I think Eric and I have been in a lot of rooms where people say the right things, but then they walk out of the room yeah. and they just it's business as usual, yeah. and it's what I call the inauthenticity crisis yeah. in American healthcare. Everyone says they want to pay for value. No right. one wants to actually like live in that system. Right. Everyone says you know that they care about health equity, but when it comes time to you know making the investments, they don't make them. Everyone says they want a diverse leadership team, but when they you know go to market and try to hire someone, they say we can't find diverse candidates. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I mean, I've been, we've all been in those rooms, and it sounds very shallow. It sounds you know, and it's uh, it's not it's not. You're just not being completely transparent. Right? My grandfather used to have this saying, don't ever write checks you can't cash. Right. Meaning, let's, let's be clear. If you could write the check, 
write the check, uh, but make sure you, you can cash the check. Yeah, and, and let me say something about this space. I mean, you know, these are, we're trying to undo hundreds of years of injustice. Right. It's not going to happen in a day. That's right. That's and systematic, I, and, and, by the way. Yeah, yes. and I think yes. some of our employees are, want it to happen tomorrow, and I'm grateful for that energy. Um, but, you know, I think this is going to be a journey that we're going to go on. And, you know, the way you create differentiation was, is with a thousand different decisions. And if you make those decisions deliberately with a little, with, with the right values, and you make a thousand of those decisions, right. you know, a few years later, you're a completely different mm -hmm. entity mm -hmm. than where you started. And I think the challenge we have is that there's so many other, so many organizations that don't even get started. And it's one of the reasons why I'm just so excited to work with this guy um, is because I think, you know, the two of us uh, are going to be able to accomplish a ton and really, you know, I think bend the arc of these two organizations in a really positive direction and hopefully the health of the people in the communities that we serve. Can you both think of an example where your decision has been so impactful where it really has put a human face or human touch on the work that you're doing every day. Eric? You know, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is, you know, it, it's not necessarily my work, it's the team's work, right? It's the, the work of our partners and the community and engaging people and identifying their needs. Um, you know, in particular, there was a woman that uh, some of our providers identified who was, uh, had SUD issues, right? Working on a substance use disorder and uh, she was homeless. Uh, they engaged her uh, in a way that she understood that someone was there to help her. You know, she had been on the streets for years, uh, had this problem with, social, with substance use, and then um, through partnerships of getting her counseling first, and then housing without, and then later getting clean, uh, she was able to turn her life around in such a way that she not only went to work actually for one of the agencies that we work with, one of the community-based agencies, but she actually was able to get her child back Wow. Was in the foster care system. And I think those are the kind of things that we say, you know, it's not just a number. It's not a percentage. It's a human being. It's a life. It's a family now. And, uh, and that's what it's all about. Sachin? Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about a few different categories of people. Um, I'm thinking about the 50 people who are now housed uh, because, uh, you know, of healthcare in action who previously were, you know, didn't have a home. Uh, I'm thinking about you know the members of our affirm product, and in particular, I'm thinking about a guy named Robert Guzman, who's um, one of our members, who um, you know you know called me and said, "I feel seen. I feel like you know you understand me, and you understand um, that as a gay man, you know, uh, in in my golden years, um, you are taking care of me in a in a different way." Um, I'm thinking about uh, you know in in particular the story of an African American man who was, you know, did not necessarily want to take the flu vaccination because he had this belief that many of us have that the vaccination actually causes the flu. Uh, and so we were able to, I think, um, you know, build enough trust with him to let him know that that wasn't the case and that this was going to be an important intervention that actually supported him. So I, you know, I'm so proud of, you know, the work of, you know, the folks at Care Oregon, the folks at SCAN, um, you know, I think every day, uh, we're, we're making a big difference in the lives of the people that we serve. Perfect segue to my last question, and that is the next big thing in health from your perspective, Eric. You know, for us, particularly in the Medicaid space, we're, we're lucky to be working in Oregon where we've worked with the federal government on a waiver that truly lets us address social determinants of health needs as a part of the continuum of care, right? So housing supports, food insecurities, loneliness, climate change. 
right? Mm -hmm. All these things are now part of our ability to serve populations in the ways that they need to be served because it all ties into not only their individual health, but their community health. And I think being able to make that happen uh, with community partners, we can't do it by ourselves, right? We can't, I don't, you know, we hand out air conditioners, but we don't make them. We don't install them. We don't pay for the electric bills, but we can identify those people for whom heat instances could be deadly, right? And, and, and they will live better lives because we engage in that way. Or, or folks that, even in Portland, where now we get ice and snow more often than we used to, you know, the people that are sleeping outside, how are they served? So I think really being able to deal with social determinants uh, in a meaningful way and not just saying we have a program for these 10 people. I think that's going to be one of the big things, you know, making that happen and making it real. I see. Very innovative thinking in many ways. And I think it's important to stress, look, we don't make the air conditioning right. or air conditioners. Right. Right. However, having an air conditioner in the home perhaps could help someone with diabetes or obesity or whatever the case may be. Right. Yeah. So, Sachin, now to you. Uh, the next big thing in health is? I think it's artificial intelligence, uh, not necessarily for the reasons that I think other people say. I think we have made this industry so unnecessarily complicated for everyone. It's complicated to be a patient, it's complicated to be an employee, it's complicated to be a physician on the front lines taking care, and we've created that complication. And I believe that artificial intelligence is gonna drive simplification. Uh, it's gonna drive, you know, take things that we used to have 500 people, you know, dealing with reams and reams of paper, uh, and it's going to allow us to reallocate their energies their you know, most precious asset to things that actually matter, which is connecting with people and humans. Um, and so I think human connection is going to be really the next big thing, but it's going to be enabled by AI. Really cool, innovative thinking. Thank you very much for joining us. And congratulations on the, on the upcoming uh, marriage. Really Thank appreciate you very it. much. Thank you. Yeah.